there's nothing really that goes to waste uh, on a pig so we use all the the bones to go into sauces and the trotters and we make different types of jus and uh, and terrines and sausages and all sorts of stuff so you know the pig for us is is king because we it we get it's the best yield This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Learning, discovery and connection can be a powerful driving force. Falling into a career as a butcher in a small border town on the Murray River, Troy Wheeler soon yearned for a greater understanding of where produce comes from. Eager for a greater understanding of his craft, he made the move to Melbourne and after rising the ranks at one of the city's best butchers, he embarked on a journey with renowned chef Andrew McConnell to create one of Australia's most bespoke butchers, focusing on the best quality heritage meats. Troy, not all that long ago, butchers started to disappear and the supermarkets took over, but you've been a part of the rebirth of foreign local butchers. What's been the success of them? Uh, I think uh, there has been, yeah, the, you're right. I think there's definitely been a, a resurgence in in the local butcher. Um, I think it was like popularized uh, quite a few years ago where chefs were transitioning into butchery, um, uh, inquisitive about wanting to know about, more about it, to, to learn more in their trade. And in turn, I think has helped like repopularize the butchery trade in general and uh, put it into the, the spotlight. You've uh, built an amazing career and uh, what you do at Meatsmith is something we can get into at some stage. But take us back to when you were young. When when did you first get interested in food? So I think my story is probably fairly traditional in regards to, you know, a, a butcher and how they evolve into the trade. Um, you know, when I was pretty young, I wasn't doing so well at school and didn't really know what I wanted to do as like a profession. Um, and I kind of fell into butchery. So I, um, I left school pretty young and I used to go to the butcher shop with my mum, and it would seemed like a, a, a fun place to work. You know, the guys behind the counter were always joking around and, you know, making a bit of fun and quite jovial and, um, and I never really knew what I wanted to do. So I'm like, you know, I'd ask them whether would they be interested in putting an apprentice on. And at that time, they they didn't. And I went off and worked a few different few different jobs. And where I'm from, up on the Murray River, um, it you know it's a it's a wood cutting industry, and uh, there's like market gardens and all sorts of stuff. So I just worked randomly for a year or so in different jobs uh, and persisted and and kept asking the guys whether they'd be still interested in putting an apprentice on and finally they gave in to me and gave me a job. And uh, from there I sort of um, – it wasn't really a passion at that stage, I don't think. It was just like a job that I enjoyed. I enjoyed the people I worked with. I, uh, you know, I didn't mind getting my hands dirty and doing all the, the dirty jobs that come with being an apprentice. Um, yeah, and it really snowballed from there. I sort of developed a real passion and 
sort of led me led me to Melbourne. Well, tell us about that apprenticeship that you did at, at Barham Meats. Uh, what were some of the dirty jobs that you had to do as an apprentice? Do you have any memories of the of that time? Um, yeah, I think it was like. Uh, it was an extremely traditional butcher shop, so like we, all we did was break bodies of beef and and pigs and lambs, and we did a little bit of small good stuff. So like we made our own frankfurts and um, you know cooked corned beef and things like that. So I think you know a lot of that kind of stuff was um, was good, but like you know I think the dirty jobs and the hard jobs were. You know, clean, cleaning out the the old pickle tubs that have been sitting around with like blood brine for a couple of weeks that sits at zero degrees, and um, and you know, cleaning out the old copper cookers that we've got like just layers and layers of fat on them from multiple cooks, and um, especially in the depths of summer up there, it gets to you know high 30, 30 degrees for multiple weeks in a row, and so it's a pretty gross job. <laughs> You moved to Melbourne at a young age. Um, what what triggered that, and and what was it like moving to Melbourne after growing up uh, on the Murray? Yeah, well, I, I guess it was, um, you know, I started developing a real passion for butchery. It it stemmed from we used to do what we called like private bodies, and that was, um, you know, cattle and sheep and pigs from local farmers would get their livestock. Uh, killed and we would process them for them for them to have at home for their families and and what we what I noticed was is like we would buy our our livestock from the abattoirs and it would consistently come the same and I never really knew what the origin of that stuff was and doing the private bodies for all of these local farmers you know you could identify with them that um, you know, their produce was, you know, an Angus cattle or like a Berkshire pig or something. And you knew that it was grown uh, at that person's farm and you like, you knew why it was good or why it was bad and you could identify, you know, its traceability. And it kind of, it, it got me really inquisitive about like, you know, oh, why is this so good and why does it come from there? Um, compared to where we get our stuff from, which comes from somewhere else. Um, and then it sort of led me to like, okay, I really want to know more about our trade and, you know, the different, the diversity in our trade in regards to like things that we make for our consumers. And and it just got me really involved in, in the industry. And I, I felt at the time uh, – when I was in Barren Meats and like I I got to a point where I could learn as much as I could and there wasn't I couldn't get all of the answers that I was looking for so you know uh, as alongside a, a a passion for like live music and stuff you know I thought moving to Melbourne and getting a job in Melbourne was my the next best step for me and uh, you ended up at a, a famous butchery and spent over a decade there tell us about how um you landed your first job in in Melbourne and, and what it led to. Yeah, so it was a it was it wasn't where I was meant to be working. So I I had lined up a job. I had some friends that were friends of a of a butcher in the Paran market, and I had lined up a job to work there. So there was a transition period of a couple of months where 
the the guys that I work for at Baron Meats, I made sure that they went on their holidays and all that kind of stuff because it was a small little butcher shop and there was only three of us there. And um, and I'd I'd been in communication with this place and. I had, uh, you know, saying that I'm coming down at this date and if I'm all good to start and and they're like, yeah, yeah, no worries, turn up, turn up, it'll be right. And so I finished my job at, uh, in Barham and I thought I'll I'll drive to Melbourne and make sure everything's fine and I'll call in on a, on a Saturday morning and make sure I'm good to go for Monday. And I turned up at this butcher shop on the Saturday and the guys turned around and told me I don't have a job for you. He's like, look, I'm sorry. I don't have any work. Um, I can't help you out. So, <laughs> so I turned. I jumped back in the car and with my tail between my legs and drove all the way back to the country. And I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do now. You know, um, I have to go back and ask for my job. And you know, the, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just felt all embarrassed and and. Uh, when I jumped back into the car before I drove back and I was going, all those things were going through my head. I, I knew of the butcher shop, Peter Boucher's just up the road from where the prayer market is on, um, Malvern road in Hawksburn village. So I thought, uh, oh, maybe I'll just drive up there and I'll introduce myself and see if they've got any work going. And so I called in, it was a Saturday morning. The shop was heaving. There's people everywhere. I waited at the back of the shop for like, you know, 25 minutes to get to get Peter's attention to say, hey, you know, do you have any work? And finally he made his way to me and I'm like, oh, my name's Troy and I'm just wondering if you have any work. Um, you know, I'm a butcher from the country and he's like, look, I don't have any work for you. Sorry, mate. Leave your details and maybe I'll get in contact with you. Yes. Yeah, and so, you know, same story. I went back to the country, tail between my legs. Uh, and, uh, I was, it was on the Monday morning. I was like washing my car on the front lawn or something. And I got a phone call from Peter and he's like, Oh, I've been thinking about you over the weekend. He's like, he's like, how about you start tomorrow? And I'm like, Oh, I've driven back to the country. It's like three and a half hours away. He's like, Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm like, nah, it's stuff that I'll be there. So I packed up the car, left. And uh, started work the next morning at uh, five thirty in the morning, and uh, the rest was history. <laughs> How different was it uh, working in Peter Boucher's uh, butcher compared to what you had been used to? Extremely different, yeah. So I'd come from a very, very traditional butcher shop in the country town uh, to to working with someone like Peter, who was like extremely progressive and was doing all of these types of value-added products and uh, products in general that I'd never seen before, you know, like, you know, fresh bobby veal and um, wagyu beef and all those kinds of things that I'd never really been exposed to. Um, it was it was a real it was a real shock and it was I I loved it. it like it just reinvigorated all of that stuff that I was really searching for. What sort of connection did you start to form with um, producers that were um, supplying uh, the market there? Yeah, so like we I guess because I was exposed to all these different things and um, we had producers all the time coming in and looking for us to use their product to sell in the store. You know, we got to see some amazing things. It was like, 
the early days of like uh, Blackmore beef, Blackmore Wagyu beef, when it was when they were getting off the ground, we used to do a lot of work with people like them. Um, our pork producer that I use now, Katie Brown from Glen Irie Rare Breed Farms, I met while I was working with Peter. Um, it was yeah, there's a just incredible stuff that was like it was such a new world to me. You spent over a decade there and um, rose the ranks to managing the retail and wholesale operations of the store. What, what were the challenges involved in that from compared to, um, you know, being on the knives? Yeah, well, I, my role was still extremely hands-on. I, was, uh, I wasn't really like a traditional manager in the sense of, um, you know, looking after finances and having a financial responsibility and all those types of things. I, My job was probably more so involved in Peter, being Peter's right-hand man and um, executing any of his ideas and, and things that he wanted to see implemented into the business. Um, I would do, you know, all the product development. So if he... If we weren't balancing the carcasses out and we needed to find a home for, uh, you know, different cuts that we weren't selling and we needed to turn it into a product line that was appealing to our consumers, then, you know, they're the, job, they're the things that I'd be doing. Um, and I reckon that the, the challenges, I guess, is probably, uh, I don't know, it's like we dealt with, like, we we had a lot of staff over the years. We built a small goods facility in Moorabbin at the time when I was there and trying to find people that were aligned with your vision, I guess, was really difficult. There's lots of butchers, I guess, that work in the industry that they don't really have the same, uh, they don't really, they're not motivated the same as, as what we were. So trying to get your message across to people like that and trying to execute it was really hard. You just mentioned the small goods facility that you built during that time that you were there. What's important in um, making great small goods? Uh, well, obviously product, uh, product and ingredients, making sure you're starting with like the, the best pork you can, um, you know, the, the, the fresh ingredients, uh, technique, like uh, I think we, over the years, we're extremely lucky to have like lots of really good young chacoutiers and small goodsmen that came from Germany and out of France uh, work in the business. And along that time, we sort of, you know, we we developed a program and we picked up techniques along the way to, to really improve improve the products that we were making. Meat Smith is uh, your co-owner with uh, one of Australia's most well-known and influential chefs, Andrew McConnell. Tell us about how the idea came about. Um, well, it sort of came about while I was working with Peter. I met Andrew through the industry. Um, uh, me, I was being a huge fan of Andrew's restaurants and his food. And I, I sort of met him through eating at his restaurants and he was used to shop at at, uh, at the store in Hawksburn Village. Um, and at the time he was building the uh, – they'd taken over the Builders Arms Hotel and they were renovating it. And they would uh, implemented a dry-age meat room and a dry-age meat program uh, as like a feature on the menu. 
And he asked me to come and have a look. He's like, oh, would you mind coming to have a look and checking out what we're doing? You know, maybe give us a few pointers. And I'm, yeah, no worries, I'll come along. Um, so I went along and he was showing me what they were doing. And uh, I said, gave a few pointers about, you know, a few things they could do to, you know, to change the way they were portioning things and to minimize the waste and stuff that they were having. And, um, and it kind of evolved into me working there after, <laughs> after hours to start portioning dry age and, um, making products out of, you know, what would deem to be waste and, uh, setting up a program that was help, uh, educate and teach the chefs to, to utilize, use, utilize product more and, you know, generate less waste. And I guess from there, it's sort of like that went on. I was there for about a year or so. And then from there, the conversation started Well, you know, how about we open our own butcher shop and we can do all of these amazing things and, um, create a space that's, you know, that encapsulates all the things that we love about food and create a, a place where you can go and get all the things that you need to create a good meal. Um, and I guess for me, not only was it important that it was accessible, that it wasn't just a place that was, uh, you know, the, a special occasion place. It was somewhere that you could come every day to to get your your protein or your small grocery items or whatever it may be to you know to 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 have that meal. Whether it's like a chicken schnitzel for a weeknight meal with a salad, or whether it's like a nice big dry aged ribeye for you know a nice dinner with friends and family. Historically, uh, we're always told to ask the butcher. Um, how to cook a certain cut when they're buying meat from a butcher. Um, what, what sort of role do you play in the, that discussion with consumers, um, given that you're not a chef? And, and how good, how important is good butchery in the overall eating experience? Yeah, I, I think it's extremely important. Um, and, and I think that's something that we've focused on in particular, that, 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 Butchers have a responsibility to 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 be a competent cook and have good cooking knowledge because, you know, our consumers are going to restaurants and eating these amazing meals and and they're going home and they're trying to replicate it. So, if the butcher isn't competent in his ability to to cook and to know what cuts and how to apply them to different cooking methods, um, he's not going to be able to help the the modern consumer because. You know, they're, they're trying to broaden their repertoire and their cooking skills, and it's important that you give them the right advice. You mentioned uh, Katie Brown and the connection that you had um, way back before Meat Smith. Tell us about what, um, what they produce and why you use their pigs. Yeah, so Katie is quite unique in what she does. She uh, has Glen, Glen Irie, rare breed farm, and her business is mostly through breed conservation. So she, we work with her in regards to the nine breeds that exist on the rare breeds list. Um, and what we do is more, we don't focus too much on each particular breed, but whatever 
particular breed at the time, she needs to help uh, rebuild up those stock numbers. We will take them and and then sell them as our as our normal pork that we sell in our stores. So there's there's breeds like large white Landrace, Durox, Hampshires, Berkshires, Tamworths, Wessex Saddlebacks, large blacks, and Welshers that all exist in Australia that that are not commonly known. So, like, obviously we, we know a lot about Berkshires. We know a bit about Wessex Saddlebacks because they're, I think they're celebrated a bit more in, in restaurants and we hear more about those types of breeds. But, like, we focus on things like Jurox and Tam, Tamworths where our customers will come back and they'll be like, uh, you know, why I had this pork chop last night and it was incredible. You know, the fat was so delicious and Moorish and, you know, why was that? And we, we can say that, you know, well, this was a Tamworth pig, which you might not have tried before, and these are its characteristics, uh, which which builds brand, which builds breed awareness and in turn helps Katie breed these livestock numbers up and keep them off the um, the endangered list. How different are the breeds from a butchering and, and eating perspective? Do you have an example of two that are quite different? Yeah, well, like Tamworth, for example. So Tamworth is like really shallow um, in its eye muscle form but has quite a large back fat uh, and they're quite uh, tall and deep in in the midsection versus a large black is quite stocky across the shoulders, has a large eye muscle and not as much of a back fat composition so you know you will get a larger portion like a larger you know pork chop or eye loin or something out of a out of a large black or your tamworth to be really small um and then the the fibers slightly changed so you you the, the the tamworth will be like quite soft um and like that back fat is like really delicious and like waxy like in texture uh, and then the the large black is more of that meaty, slightly more textural sort of flavour. From a butcher and consumer point of view, how versatile is a whole pig? Oh, extremely. It's um, there's nothing really that goes to waste uh, on a pig, and that, that's the other thing that we we do at Meatsmith in general. We have a we have a small goods program and a charcuterie program and a commercial kitchen. Uh, as a part of our Fitzroy store uh, and we utilize everything so nothing goes to waste so we use all the the bones to go into sauces and the trotters and we make different types of jus and uh, and terrines and sausages and all sorts of stuff so you know the pig for us is is king because we it we get it's the best yield with the obligation on butchers to know a bit about cooking to understand cuts to share that with consumers do you do you have particular cuts that you like to cook and can you tell us a bit about dishes that you cook at home yeah um i guess i'm a little bit experimental at home like i often um going back to what we said before about um you know important butchers having cooking knowledge you know i'm always trying to build off that I, you know, experimenting and trying new techniques and, you know, things that I might have, have eaten in a restaurant trying to replicate that or, or whatever that might be. So, uh, yeah, my wife and kids often during the week get to eat 
weird and wonderful things that I'm trying to experiment with. <laughs> My kids don't like it too much. Is there a particular uh, cut of the of the pig that you like to cook? Yeah, for me, it's probably the the rack end um, rack end chop with all its trimmings left on, um, right up into the shoulder where the where the the cap sort of separate is like on top of that eye muscle. Um, so you get that good texture of the rib meat and the eye muscle and a nice big layer of fat and keep the skin on and score it up so you get like crispy bits and chewy bits. I'm I'm a big fan of texture, like make like I'm not a huge fan of like fillets and things like that or that are really soft. I like something that I can sort of eat and enjoy. Bakers will often talk about baking being therapeutic. Do you have a similar feeling with butchery? Yeah, totally. I really do. Um, I guess I'm uh, like going through and whether it is something mundane like cutting steaks for, for you know, for display in the stores or burning out lamb shoulders or pork shoulders, um, I enjoy all of it and I, I sort of strive to each time I do it to make sure I'm doing it properly and uh, that I can build on, on being better each time I do it. You know that uh, the, the cuts are correct and everything is done perfectly. Meatsmith has really changed the conversation and interaction between um, butchers and consumers. With and you've got the wine element and sort of the ultimate sort of um, meal solutions as well. What, what is it that you love about what you've created there? I love that we sort of we. We're accessible to to all forms of, of people, and like whether you are a busy um, busy couple or individual that lives in inner city Melbourne, and you know you have a, a busy time consuming job that you we still have something for you. We, you can call past in the afternoon, and you can grab a ready made meal that we have prepared in house that is just as delicious as what you could get in a restaurant. So like a beautiful cock of arn that has got like caramelized chicken legs with a really nice double chicken reduction with like fresh herbs and stuff in it. It's not, it's not overly manufactured and, um, and I, and in the same context, you can have someone on their day off that has all day that can come in and get a really great bottle of Barolo and, you know, get some beef cheeks and, you know, braise some beef cheeks for like that delicious meal at the end of the day. With good butchery being so important to the overall eating experience, what, what advice would you have for smaller food service, food service operators who may not have butchery experience at the highest level? Well, I think, yeah, like rely on your butcher giving you the, the right information. Like I think uh, that conversation around why, what they need it for, how they want to use it, um, obviously price points are factor for a lot of restaurants that, you know, they need to meet a certain food costs. So, you know, they might be going down the wrong path of trying to, use an eye fillet when they should be using shoulder or something, you know, like um, just that communication and opening up uh, that conversation around, you know, what they need it for and the butcher should be able to help you. 
the notion of uh, nose to tail eating is one that's really come to the fore over the last decade or two, but understanding how to use all of the, the whole pig is a different thing altogether. But well, do you have any tips or secrets in how to break down a whole pig and to get every, to get the most out of it? I don't know whether they're secrets. It's probably an age-old art that's been happening for. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, making sure that you're, you know, like the, the, I guess the tips are is like knowing what application applies to which part of the pig. So your your shoulders and your head, uh, you know, will always apply to like a really slow cooking method, um, as well as your bellies. Um, and really they're best suited for like your sausages and all those and terrines and things you've got the right intermuscular fat and connective tissue to for that application and you know your loins and the rumps and the legs are a leaner cut with shorter fibers so they're quicker cooking and uh use use for better applications like you know curing uh, to make bacon or whether it's like cured lonza or prosciuttos or whatever that may be or like traditional ham. So I think just making sure that you, the cuts that you have, uh, you're using them for the right application so you get the best out of them. You, you grew up in a small country town and now one of Australia's most uh, renowned butchers. How, how has butchery changed your life? Well, it hasn't really. <laughs> uh, I uh, I still get up and go to work at um, you know four o'clock every morning. Uh, I get home you know not too late now that I've got a couple of small kids, but and it's still you know six days a week that I'm that I'm doing it, and I've been doing that since I was like seventeen. So. Uh, you know, uh, my job is very much been and being a butcher has very much been everything that I've done forever and it's always been a priority so you know and then starting a business with Andrew you know that the, the same thing just keeps continuing whether you know I get up every single morning and and you go to work and and do do what I love and it's I think nothing's nothing's changed in the past 20 plus years and uh, and I'm not tired of it now, so I, I don't see it changing anytime soon. <laughs> well, uh, Troy, uh, we've loved uh, having you on the Crackling today to hear your story. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll have to catch up again soon. Okay. Thanks so much, Hap. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.